Welcome to Southern Fried Fantasy, a podcast for readers and writers, where Southern authors talk about books set in the region they call home. Book lovers beware, your TBR pile is about to get taller than high cotton. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Southern Fried Fantasy. I'm your host, Bob Magoo of Tales by Bob. And this week, I'm super excited to introduce Lee M. Hall. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting her at this uh, large book festival thing that we had in Montgomery. And uh, I kind of was roaming from booth to booth looking for folks that um, Southern authors writing Southern fantasy and and Lee fit the bill perfectly. So, uh, Lee, welcome. And why don't Hi, you, Bob. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Glad to have you on. And why don't you yes. take a moment, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what, what ties you to the South? Okay. So, mine's Lee. I grew up in the Houston, Texas area, around and about um, springs, places like that. Uh, I'm not what you would call probably a Southern girl. I'm more what you would call a Texan. So uh, I'm a little, I, I don't know if those are mutually exclusive or not, uh, but well, I just I, spent I think, a lot of time. I think it, I think it all comes down to how, uh, how you view it. Cause it, <laughs> I, I talk to people a lot, you know, it, everyone's quick to say that Florida is not the South. Um, that's kind yeah, of, the, no, that's not, the, that's true. Kind that's of, a fact. That's the cliche, <laughs> but then a surprising number of people are like, no, Texas isn't really the South. Um, it's, it's its own thing. You know, it's its own entity. Uh, yeah, uh, I I tend to uh, I fall into the camp of it is the South is thus why you're included on here. Yes. Um, but I, I recognize that and that's part of the point of this podcast is every part of the South culturally uh, tends to be very different from other parts of the South. So yes, that is and, yeah correct. <laughs> so you're so you're from Houston. Houston area. Yes, I, I grew up and raised here. I moved away little bits here and there in my adult, early adult life, but I make found my way back because this is where I love to be. Um, I, uh, you know, spent my, a lot of time in my youth fishing in the bayous. Oh, yeah. uh, so, you know, uh, playing, making mud pies outside because we used to get locked outside when we were kids. Now the kids don't want to go outside. Uh, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I love the heat. I love the weather. I spent a year in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I will never, ever, you will never hear me complain about how hot it is outside. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I saw when I was doing some research on you, you were talking about how you liked the heat. And uh, I got to say, that's unusual. Like uh, now a lot of Southerners, you know, we, we've learned to tolerate the heat and I'm, I'm with you 100%. I don't do cold, you know, yeah, um, if, yeah. I, if I lived someplace with snow, um, on the regular, I'd be moving. <laughs> it know? was. It's miserable. It's miserable. You can only put so much clothes on, and like yeah. you can't go outside. And then shoveling the snow. Oh my gosh! I was like, this is ridiculous. People do this every day. Yeah, no, <laughs> to, to hell with that. Um, like people are like, oh, it's it's just so hot. I was like, well, you know what? We invented air conditioning. You, you know, can, you can fill a baby pool and go sit in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, and like I, I, you know, I mean, I've lived in it my whole life, so I'm. I'm used to it. I'm not going to say that I enjoy it, but I got to say, uh, given, given the choice between hot and cold, I'm, I'm going to go hot. Yes. So, now, I wouldn't work outside. I'm not going to go out there and exert myself, but 
I do enjoy to buy lazy afternoons out in the heat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, my life these days, uh, I've got a big umbrella and a hammock in my backyard. And oh, yes. C- come home from work, you know, change out of the work clothes, go get in the hammock and just sit in that, read a book. Uh, I mean, yes, it's, is it warm? Sure. But in the shade, it's fine. You get the breeze blowing breeze every once in a while. And yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. Oh, it's so good. So good. (laughs) So, all right. So uh, you, you write, uh, you have a number of different kind of series going on. Well, I don't really write series. I write standalones. Yeah. Um, That's a better way to put it. Yeah. So I have a variety of different things, genres, uh, typically anything that you're going to find that it might be suspense, fantasy, um, thriller, but it's all going to fall in the dark category. Um, it's, they're all very, very dark, disturbing, loaded with trigger warnings only for mature audiences, stuff like that. Uh, so they all kind of have a same, the same theme. Uh, but I do have a, a very, a, various uh variety of uh different genres i guess you would say yeah because uh, i kind of just write whatever i want to write because i read everything so yeah. if something comes to mind i'm not going to write it just because people consider me a thriller author i do yeah. have other things out there that, that was always something that struck me uh when i was looking at your booth is you you do have you know kind of a, a definitely a spectrum you know it's, yeah <laughs> a, lo- a lot of booths you go to is like well you know i just I write uh, vampire urban fantasy done. RH, like they're very specific. <laughs> oh, man, that, that, so that was, that uh, event was kind of eye-opening for me because I <laughs> I do a lot of conventions and uh, where, you know, there's always a good number of authors, but it tends to be uh, uh, most of like the vendor halls are not authors, you know? So y- yeah. you have a few authors here and there, but this was the first event I had attended. I mean, there was, uh, what like 80 authors there yes it was catered around specifically for authors and book yeah. related yeah. you know vendors and that that was fantastic but it was uh it, it was primarily i would say i don't read a lot of romance and it, it kind of mm. i don't the event didn't cater to that per se but that was the majority of what was they, there. those romance authors dominate uh, they, the, do. <laughs> they dominate well, they're everywhere uh and, and but you know their readers are there too so yes. i'm not knocking them oh, yeah. there are plenty of readers for all of them yeah uh, but the, and but, i do enjoy a romance every once in a while yeah uh but yeah, they're but, they're I, I'm a I'm a little I'm a little crumb inside of a sea of romance writers. <laughs> I feel you there. Uh, but to me, like talking about like, I mean, they get really specific. Like I, you know, this person only writes uh like motorcycle club romance yes. novels. And you know, and it's like, wow, I didn't realize it. I didn't it, and I was like, oh, well, that's probably a one-off. But there was like three different authors there that they're like, oh no, I write motorcycle club they have events just for motorcycle club authors you know who knew (laughs) who knew (laughs) so so uh, many of them yes yeah but that was that was neat to see uh uh, because like i've been at author events before that were much smaller like at local libraries and i'm usually the odd man out Uh, i'm normally the only person there that's writing any sort of fantasy anything um so i i would definitely i i feel like I, I regret not getting in on that event, um, but it, it slipped under my radar until they were already it'll booked. It'll be back in 2024. It's every two years. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, make sure you keep your eye out. It's called Capital City Authors Event. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, actually they, know, I know the people who 
Yes, uh, Michelle and and Randy. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. yeah, I used to have a, a buddy that uh, people listening to this probably won't be aware, but Randy's a uh, photographer. And yes. uh, I had a buddy, a guy, a coworker that was in like the same photography club as Randy. So I kind of got to know him through that. Oh, cool. And so, yeah. And so, but then like all of a sudden, like I just see like ads for this event and I was like, oh, how, hey, I'm a local author. I'd like to get on this. Like, oh, you can get on the wait list. It's <laughs> like, well, oh. it was rescheduled from like 2019, like, well, because Corona had yeah. made it rescheduled like two years in a row. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it, they had been, they had all these authors that had signed up two over two years ago had been still waiting to go. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so it, had it, been, it was it a great event for a while. Great yeah. That event. one was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I drove there from Texas uh, by myself. Uh, yeah. So that was eventful. Um, I'm going to another one this weekend It's coming up weekend. Um, and it's in South Deadwood, South Dakota. Oh, wow. Uh, it's part of every year Deadwood, South Dakota uh, has wild build days. And I don't know if, you, if anybody's ever been to Deadwood, South Dakota. It's basically one street uh, and the whole street. Well, there's like cemeteries. But there's like this big strip and it's like a wild west Vegas. They have like Ooh. old saloons and casinos and stuff. And it's really yeah. cool. And during wild west days, they have free concerts uh, they close the whole street down. There's free concerts. There's dog shows. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on. And we do on Saturday from 10 to 4, There, we it's free to attend the Deadwood uh, Reads. Deadwood Reads is what it's called. Yeah. And I think this is the fifth or sixth year that they've done it. This is the second time that I'm going. Yeah. Uh, but I had so much fun at this one. It's far. And I'm flying in by myself this time. But it's a lot of fun. It's, it's different. Uh, last year I went and saw Mount Rushmore because it's only like an hour and a half away from there and stuff. But yeah. uh, there's this one has a lot of, of different authors. There's a lot of romance, but I think it might be like 60-40 versus like 90-10 yeah. <laughs> on yeah. the romance on this one because there yeah. are like some horror authors and like nonfiction authors. There's some children's mm-hmm. book authors that go there. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just have to keep an eye off that it's one of those you know as an author you know i i find that uh being able to get out in front of people and actually talk to folks uh is the absolute best way to sell books like i yes. uh, i did fandemic in atlanta not long ago and sold just a ton of books you know in a relatively short window uh, so if you're if you're an author uh like man i'm just not getting traction you know like i like have you considered looking at author events and the other thing is it doesn't have to be an author event you know uh i've i have set up at uh events at, there's a brewery in alabaster that i have every so often they'll have some sort of event and I'll, they'll let me come set up my my table there you know there's a pub clancy's public house over here by me when i released my first book they let me go in there and set up and do a couple of hours and people came in and it was, I mean, they're like, yeah, come do a signing. Out. I'm like, at your yeah. pub? They're like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, you know, uh, I mean, people who drink also are people who read. Yeah. You know? they're not, not always, not always, <laughs> but you know, hey, they, they got to read authors it. drink. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, I've always, I actually asked a local bar if I could be their writer in residence one time and uh, they, they, I don't think they even got the concept and they were they like, didn't uh, understand what you're getting at. Yeah. yeah it's like, I don't, it's like, I don't, I don't think we're going to do that. I was like, that's fair. But I just had to ask. <laughs> do we have to pay you? 
Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, you, I was like, just let me run events on occasion, you know, but they, yeah. uh, they, they, they weren't have quite a corner booth. <laughs> yeah. They weren't quite in the same uh, headspace that I was. So, but yeah. the, the dream continues one day, one day. Yeah, like next month I'm doing uh, one at uh, the Perfect Latte. It's just a little coffee shop down here yeah. by me. They invited me to come over there for my because I just released a serial killer thriller is my latest release. Uh, and that one's actually going to be a series. There's three books in the series and book one already came out. So yeah. they wanted me to come and host for my new release. Yeah. And I was like, OK. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Like I, I, I did a... Uh, in Birmingham, I did, there was a, like a mystery writers event that they were having and uh, a buddy I knew was going to be in it. And he, he expressed, Hey man, you should cry. I was like, well, my stuff's not really like mystery mystery. It's like urban fantasy with a mystery. Like, oh no, that's great. Come on. And it was, yeah, that- it was in the second floor <laughs> of a bar. And uh, it, that was one of my favorite events I've ever done. Um, so think outside the box. Yeah. Think outside the box. It's the moral of that story. Well, there's, there's one guy close to me. There's a, there's a farmer's market every weekend here in my neighborhood. And, uh, to me, farmer's market screams homegrown corn and peppers. (laughs) I would never think there's a guy that goes there every weekend and has his booth of his writing. Yeah. And I'm like, of course, you know, I'm like, it's, I'm not going to go sit out there all day at a booth. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah. but that's cool. And I'm like, I'll let you have that one. That's that far. Right. It's all yours, but he does very well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. If, if, if you think about a place like, well, you know, there's no other writers there, you know, well, that's a good thing. You're the only author yeah. there. That's not a bad, that's not a negative. That's an asset, you know, go tap into that. <laughs> go, go hone in on that corner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So getting, getting back onto your books kind of specifically, I know when we talked, uh, not all of yours are set in the South, but you have a, a couple that are. I have uh, a couple. The- yeah. Uh, one, uh, my first book that I ever released is called Girl Bully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it start it actually has a couple of different settings because she moves around. It's centered around uh, a, a girl who grew up in foster care at, at in Louisiana. Uh, so we follow her as she grows up, goes through foster care and then puts, and then goes on to Tulane, mm-hmm. a university. Yeah. Uh, and then she moves, uh, into, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, so she goes for a couple of different places, but this one is a psychological thriller. It's what I call a crazy bitch book. <laughs> uh, and, uh, it, you can, it's kind of similar, uh, to maybe like gone girl. Okay. Uh, yeah. You would think a silent patient, kind of those, uh, books, um, very twisted, but it's also very graphic as far as like violence. There's uh, some trigger warnings that to tell people that there are some some graphic sexual scenes and there is violence towards children in the book. Oh, yeah. um, so I have to let everybody know that. But it's my most popular book. It's the yeah. first book that I ever released. I really put hardly any money into the book. It, it, as writers, it costs us a lot to write. It does. Uh, <laughs> it costs a lot. We have to get editing. We have to get covers. We have to get narrators for our, our audiobooks. This one, I just kind of put it out there. I never made an audiobook. I never did anything with it. And it's it's still, it flies every day. It's, it's right yeah. all day long. Yeah, and, um, to, and to clarify that for folks that are, listening and thinking oh man well i don't know about writing now it's like to, to be clear it it takes money uh if you don't have the resources like if you have you know if you know someone who will edit your book that's yes. actually an editor you then, got an okay. english teacher aunt yeah 
they can they can at least get it yeah they can at least get you to where you're not making grammatical errors they may not be a plot guru but they can at least to where you won't be getting dinged on your reviews you're like this person's never heard of a comma yeah and and then what you do after that is is what i did in the beginning too is you just trade off proofreads with other people uh you know i've got this new release and i need like five people to proofread it and you hand it out and other authors who are struggling as well will do that um you know you read mine and i'll read yours yeah (laughs) yeah that's a that's a great tip um yeah and and the other thing is like you know if you can get that first one out there you can use that to kind of build the war chest for the for the next one and that's what that's what i've been doing you know i um I have a bunch of like little side hustles where I do like either freelance writing or I sell shirts on Amazon, stuff like that. And as that money, I just let that money roll in and build up the war chest. So when book one came around, I had the money set aside to pay for the editing, to pay for the cover, that kind of stuff. And now it's okay. Well, the sales from that one help fund the editing and cover for book two, which now when book now, book four will be out in a couple months. Uh, you know, it, I have three books, sales, supporting, getting that one out. And it can definitely snowball for you. Yes, definitely. As in more, the more that rolls in, the more we can put into the books, and the better our next one's going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, exactly. So... But this one, like I said, I put very little into it. I had I had written a book, uh, Capability, which is da- based in Dallas, Texas, and it was my fourth release. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was actually the first book I ever wrote. Um, and it sat on a shelf for a couple of years because I was trying to get it out. I was trying to get an agent. Yeah. Uh, so while I was in waiting, because it takes forever to get yes. an agent, while uh, and to get stuff to go through traditionally, um, I didn't stories kept coming to me. I didn't want to yeah. stop writing. I kept writing and I'm going, what am I going to do? Put all these on a shelf and they're just going to start piling up. <laughs> so I decided to self-publish Girl Bully. Uh, and, um, and it did great. It did amazing. So I went ahead and while I was still waiting on capability to go through, uh, I, my second book that I released is called This Family Sucks, Sincerely Yours, Peter Frazier. Yes. And it is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the one that caught my has caught my eye the most. Uh and it it uh and I think we talked about this. Is this the one that's set in Tyler, Texas? It's set in 1996, Tyler, Texas. Yeah. Uh, yes, and so, so it's, it's... to 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 set the scene for you for 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 listeners. Um I have I have walked up to this booth. I'm a I'm a tall, portly um rough looking dude in like a biker vest with a bunch of patches big burly beard and he's not lying um, yeah and, and i'm like you know i'm like oh hey you know let, talk tell me about your books and she's like uh, oh yeah tyler texas well i'm a huge movie or uh, not movie i'm a huge music guy and uh, i love the toadies one of my favorite bands and they have a song called tyler texas which is about a very famous rape case that happened in tyler texas and so think you know, big burly scary guy comes up to your booth and you mentioned Tyler, Texas. I'm like, oh, that's the place where the rape case happened. So yeah. Uh don't don't worry, guys. You'll never be quite as awkward as I am. So. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, the toadies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly so. Oh, I love the toadies. Like, okay, cool. I didn't totally I'm like, stick my foot in my one mouth. of their songs was mentioned in another book of mine. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big music buff. I love music. I'm going to go see uh Brit Floyd tonight. Nice. Like I am I am like a major music buff. And so a lot of I don't get a lot of inspirations from outside sources for my stories. They tend to mm-hmm. just come to me. 
but I do get a lot of inspiration from songs on certain scenes or dialogues when I'm writing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I did get an inspiration during a club scene uh, for, uh, for with a Toady song. And you'll see if, if you read any of my books, there is quite a bit of music thrown in to the nice. scenes. Nice. Uh, and so, well, this family, Sex and Serial Yours, Peter Frazier, is, I, it's the first thing time I ever wrote in the narrative form. Mm-hmm. So I was challenging myself and it, it was very, it was a little difficult, you know, to go from writing a couple few books back to back first person yeah. to third person. And, uh, but I, I learned as I was doing this because um, it's a large cast of characters. It's a, it's a family. They've got mom, dad, there's seven kids, both sets of grandparents live close by. There's a lot of outside friends. And the only way to paint this picture was to do it as someone looking in. Yeah. Um, and it really does give you a whole scope of the story and it's going to give you so much nostalgia going back to the 90s. I, I decided to set it then just because I, I was a teen in the 90s. So I know how they acted. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it was probably the most freeing time for teens to be a teen because it was before we had the internet or cell phones or any of that. And our kids were, our parents were all hippies. Right. Um, so they had no patience or desire to entertain us. <laughs> and so yeah, we no. were just sent out into the world to do whatever it was that we did. Yeah. And so that's what these kids, it's, it's a lot of fun watching them, but the Frazier family is kind of like this perfect tight knit family. Mom and dad are, are pretty awesome. And, and you'll love them. But uh, the main characters in the story are the two youngest siblings, which are Peter and Tallulah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are both still in high school. They're the only ones left in high school. And uh, the summer's starting. And this outside person comes in and starts, you know, meets Tallulah. And some dark stuff starts to ha- happen to the family after that. And the only one that seems to notice anything is Peter. Yeah. Uh, so he turns into a little investigator. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, I had so much fun writing this book and the characters, they just stick with me. Uh, they don't want to go away. So I did, I wrote a little side story that released in February of this year. It's just a little, it's just a little blip it. Like it's called a novella, but this, this book is way too cool to have a novella. That <laughs> The name novella just sounds cheesy. So I'm like, no, it, it, it's not a novella. It's a side piece because yeah. the, the Frazier family own a gun shop. <laughs> Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's called the it's called a Fraser family side piece and it's called Vladimir's Victory and it's one of the other siblings and it's it's kind of like a little extra bonus story, you know, yeah. for for one of the siblings. And I think I'll probably have more of those to come just because I love these characters and yeah. they don't ever leave and there's actually I wrote a book called um Where the Hell Are We? Uh-huh. And it's a fantasy and it's there's some parts of it that are set in the south but uh it is about two people that kind of time travel they don't really know where they're going but they're like mm-hmm. moving from place and time without their knowledge and they go around they bounce around and, and witness people's death days oh wow and there is a teaser in that book for the peter fraser book yeah so i always recommend that if anybody read wants to read where the hell are we read peter fraser read this family sex uh first gotcha yeah so uh reading about that was the the fraser family was it inspired by like people that you knew was this like kind of this 
a family type that maybe you grew up around or something or was it kind of no, just a it's you know what I thought about it okay so I just get this random idea and then a story I've never actually had any real people inspire a story in my life but I get a random idea or I'll see something maybe but the what inspired the story was people who put labels on everything or signs on everything Uh i got this thing like where this kid goes to his grandma's house and she's got everything labeled you know because they're getting old and they got to remember stuff and i actually saw this in a movie after i read after (laughs) i wrote the book (laughs) called i'm thinking of ending things and i was like hey that's that's what they do in my book uh but because uh, like they get old and they forget like you know what to do like make sure you cover your food is on the microwave and like you know right, lift the yeah. toilet seat you know it's like <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. I got this idea that Peter Fraser goes and he see, reads these signs and he thinks his whole family's just crazy yeah. and like what the heck is wrong with these people they're so crazy and then this whole story just formed around that one idea I like it I like it <laughs> so uh were, were there elements of uh, Southern culture that you kind of felt was important to show in, in these um, books? And- yes. Uh, as far as when we were growing up, I, I don't think it's the same now as far as Southern. And I don't know if this might not be just a Southern thing is the girls didn't need cars. Yeah. Uh, if you were a girl, you didn't need a car. Yeah. Uh, your brothers, your father, your whoever was trying to woo you <laughs> <laughs> would, would, would have a car would drive you around. You didn't yeah. need a car. And that's kind of something that's put in the book. Okay. Uh, if yeah. you didn't have a car, it showed as a sign of independence and you were seen a little more like an easy girl. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I think that really plays into their, there's a strong through thread and kind of more call it, I guess you could call it like traditional Southern culture of like yes. women are a thing to be protected, you know? Yes. Like they, I, they're, I, I they're fragile and they, they're they not supposed to be out in the world by their own. Yeah. You know? how, how, how dare they? How dare <laughs> <Yes>. they? Um, <laughs> funny story though. My, uh, my stepmom grew up in Missouri, which uh, it, it's not Southern, but it's Southern adjacent. And uh, she, it, she told me once that uh, she literally dated a guy because he had a GTO. Uh, yeah and, no that was a thing like you yeah. fell in love with the car <laughs> yeah and you, you know like and i never really thought about it like that but now that we're having this conversation it's like well you know she didn't have a car you know and um i can definitely see where not having a car of your own i could definitely see where the car would be more attractive than necessarily the person behind the wheel because that's what was <laughs> going to be driving you around town yeah. I mean, because if, if you, whoever you were dating was the, irresponsible, if you had a part time job, they were taking you to work and picking you up and they were taking you to school, taking you yeah. home. Like that was who was driving you around. That was their, that was part of their job as being your boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I'd never, it, I mean, but that's part of the thing. Like I grew up as a guy, you know, and uh, in a, in a very, very, very rural area. So I don't think it was, uh, that was probably as pronounced for us. Just because um, every like I, to to drive to my best friend's house was a twenty minute drive, you know. Oh, to, that's a long yeah. Yeah, to we get used to walk. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Uh, I to get to. I mean, I had forty four people in my graduating class, and that was uh, uh, 
the entire like northern third of the county, relatively large county that we lived in, uh, was the school zone for that. So you got to think that's how sparsely populated it was that our, you know, senior class only had 44 people in it. Um, it was to, to get to a restaurant, uh, was a 25 minute drive at least, um, to get to a good restaurant <laughs> was farther. <laughs> um, no, so the restaurant was, <laughs> Oh, well, I mean the town I grew, the town I grew up in, there was no stoplight. Um, there was a post office. There was, uh, a mom and pop gas station and a couple of like uh, auto body repair shops. And that was it. Uh, oh, and some churches, of course, because it's, oh, yeah, there's always going to be churches. Got to have some churches. Another thing um, that's because when Tyler, Texas is a small town, even today, it's not compared to, I mean, I was there, I haven't been there in a few months, but I go there at least once a year. Uh, and I do know people that live there and it's grown quite a bit since the nineties. Uh, but it's, as you were saying, like, it's a small class in your high school and yeah. a lot of the kids, you know, they're like, they're gra- They're getting up to graduating high school. So they're like tired of seeing in the same old, <laughs> Walk, like i've already gone through all these people <laughs> yeah oh yeah <laughs> <That's> like <laughs> well especially compared to houston because houston is massive i mean just absolutely massive yeah i mean at the graduating class at my son's high school this he, he'll be a senior next year but this year i think was close to it was around 800 yeah and I, which that's isn't that probably, bad compared well, it, to like dallas theirs are like 1600 yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I, my grandmother uh, lived in Houston when I was younger. And so we'd go there. And I mean, it's just, it's a, it's definitely one of the largest cities in the country. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> yeah. I took uh, a, I drove to um, Montgomery, Alabama a couple of weeks ago when I went and I saw you. Yeah. I drove there and it was a nine and a half hour drive. And I went yeah. through Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama to get to Montgomery. An hour and a half of that was in Houston. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's funny. It's funny we're having this conversation because uh, my coworker, he literally uh, last week drove to Houston to see his grandmother, um, except he did it with a uh, like a two year old. And it was apparently a, a nightmare, oh. but he was just talking about the drive. And, it, you know, when I went, uh, my I was really young my because I was only going to see my grandmother. And when she retired, she moved to Alabama. And by the time she did that, you know, I was in my early teens. So, you know, I was single digits going to Houston. And, you know, when you're in the back of the van, you know, with a coloring book, you're not paying attention to the drive. You're taking um, naps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so he was talking about it. I was like, yeah, that was not my experience at all. But my experience going to Houston was always in the back of a van where my mom made sure that before we took that trip, that she would load us up on stuff to do (laughs) so we wouldn't bug her. So, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a drive. It's a decent drive. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, all right. Well, uh, do you use anything supernatural from Southern folklore specifically in your novels? No, I don't write any type of paranormal. The, uh-huh. o- the only book that of mine that you're going to find even close. Well, I say that 
But like I said, I only, I write whatever I want to write. So a story right. might come to me, but I do read it. Like Charlene Harris is one of my favorite yeah. authors and I have her name tattooed on my arm and I am obsessed with her and yeah. I met her and I have several signed books and I don't know how they do it. They create these whole worlds uh, and all these creatures and mm -hmm. it's, it's fascinating. And to yeah. me, that looks like a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I love reading it, but uh, the only thing that I've gotten close to is, is that book, where the hell are we? Which I can't give it away because the whole book, when you're reading it, you're super confused. Yeah. You're as confused as the two characters in the book because they have no idea. The whole title is where the hell are we? What the hell is going on? You know, yeah. like they don't know. You don't know either. It's super confusing. And then at the end, at the very, very end, like the last page and a half, it gets revealed to you and you're like, oh, so I can't yeah. really say like it, it's kind of supernatural as okay. yeah, uh, but it's not Southern folklore. It's yeah. um, uh, but it's like otherworldly. OK, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Definitely don't want spoilers. You know, we want people to go out and I read am, these, I am. So. I do have an outline for a book that I want to write. Um, I have to finish my series. I'm writing book three in my series and. Uh, that I'm doing right now, it's hard to stay focused on one it thing is. at a time. Oh God! It uh, is. And I'm doing. I got to finish my series. My husband every day. Do you have book three done for me yet? And I'm yeah. like, you know, what? Get away, go away, please. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but I have all these new ideas coming to me, and what I do is I, I write the idea down. And if by the time I get to it, half the time it it no longer sounds like a good idea. And so yeah. I blow it off and move on to the next. Cause sometimes it's like, Oh, this sounds amazing. I can't wait to write this story. Well, by the time I'm done writing, whatever I'm working on and getting to the three ahead of it, <laughs> that yeah. were there or whatever, um, it no longer sounds appealing. Yeah. But this one I've already like hunted for covers for it. Like, yeah. I'm like, Oh no, I'm writing this book. And it is, I don't know. I, I, I was going to start off in Alabama and it's, I'm going to base it in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's going to start in Alabama and the family, uh, it's going to be an older couple and they're going to move to Texas because they inherit some land. Yeah. And it's just in time because they were broke and they weren't going to be able to survive much longer. So a family member dies and they inherit some land. Well, some other stuff happened. I can't say anymore. First yeah. of all, I haven't written it yet. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but some other stuff happens there and it's going to be, it's going to be kind of like a thriller horror novel. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that when I keep picturing yeah. it and I went ahead and I drew, I drew what I wanted for my cover uh and send it to a creator and i'm like i'm not a, you know i'm not an artist but i'm a decent i can draw decently oh. <laughs> and i'm like i can at least make it this is kind of how i want my cover to look and they're like okay yeah. i was like take your time because i haven't even written the book yet <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you know you were talking about how you know you get the idea and it, it seems great and then you by the time you get to it you realize it's not as good i think part of that is also just sometimes it comes from just growth as a writer like it sounds mm -hmm. great like as you grow as a writer, learning your strengths, learning more about the craft, when you get back to it, it's like, okay, it was a good idea, but uh, craft-wise, it's not really executable, you know? Yes, because I will have pages and pages of notes where I'll be reading something or I'll be writing something else and a different character will pop in my head. So I stop what I'm doing and I'm just like, let me just document this real quick so I can remember yeah. it. And then I come back to it and I'm like, but I don't know how I'm going to build around this one little piece. Yeah. 
Like it's not, it doesn't seem like, I'm sure if I would have stopped what I was doing and wrote the book right then and there, then maybe something would have happened of it. But yeah, yeah like you're saying, I kind of, I, I kind of outgrew that idea. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a, that's a natural part of being a writer. And it's also, you know, it's, it's a good thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so the, the, the first half of the podcast kind of is geared more towards the readers out there, but the back half, I kind of gear it more to the writers out there. Okay. So I, I'd love to, I'd love to hear about your process. Are you more of a plotter? Are you more of a pantser? Um, and typically how long does it take you to write a book? So I am a plotter. I mm-hmm. uh, will make my outline. Now it changes. The outline changes while I'm writing the book, but I do make the outline. I kind of do a chapter by chapter basis of where I want to go. Sometimes the there'll be a few blank chapters and I'm not sure what I want to put in there. I make a character list. So each one of my characters, I have them taped on my wall as I'm working on them. So I'll pull one down and let you know. Like, so yeah. I just finished this idea. book. It's called the between it's called between the trees. Uh, it comes out on August 18th. Uh, and it's book two to my serial killer series. So mm-hmm. my serial killer series within this walls uh, released in May. And I'm the type of person that like, I don't want people to wait a year. For book yeah. two so i'm promising them all this year so i've already uh, written book two and then book three i'm about halfway done with it but um it's i'll write down my main characters mm-hmm. what they do for a living where they went to college where they're from who their parents are what their date of birth is what their nicknames are if they have an accent if they have any food allergies like i put yeah. all these down only if those things are pertinent to the story Mm-hmm. Um, and then I add to it. If if I'm writing them, then and something comes along, I'm like, okay, let me add this to the character list. Because I never know when I want to go pick up and write like a spin-off or something. Yeah. And I need this character detail to remember who these people are. Cause that's what happened with uh, book, the first book I wrote. I never didn't make one of these. Mm-hmm. And then about a year later, I started writing a novella for it, and I couldn't remember who any of the characters were. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I had oh, to go no, back 100%. and find it. Yeah, no, um, so it, yeah, it goes through to the minor characters. Mm-hmm. And then um, like if there's like this one had some articles of missing women. So it just kind of has like the articles of missing women and has their names and their ages and where they went missing. Yeah. Um, in here. So I and I save all of these and they're kind of taped around my office. Yeah. Um, and so I once I have that all done, I'll get started and I write the end. I write the very end of the book oh, wow. first. Yeah, uh, growing up and uh, taking writing courses younger and stuff, I was horrible at it. I I didn't I, I didn't think I was bad, but I could never figure out how to end my stories. Uh-huh. They just dragged on and on and on forever yeah. and ever. And um, I never like I would always outdo the word count. Like you know, <laughs> only give me a thousand words, and I'm like, well, here's my twelve thousand. <laughs> figure right. out how to end the story. Yeah. So. What I do is I go in and I write my ending first. I already know what's going to happen. Uh, I write mainly thrillers. So typically you have a big twist at the end. Um, and uh, I write that first and then I go back and I write the beginning leading up to where, how that happens. Yeah. That's, uh, so that's- as someone who I, I, I tend to struggle with endings somewhat. Like uh, I tend to like, I get an idea um you know, like, oh, this is this is the mystery or, you know, this is the hook. And uh, like my first novel um, that I that I finished, I, I started it. And it was like, oh, I, I don't know how it ends. Like I, I have I have the beginning in the middle, but how it ends, I'll figure it out when I get there. Yeah. And, it'll probably uh, be, be revealed to you. Yeah. And it 
it was eventually, <laughs> but it took, it took a long time. And, uh, uh, two, two years really, because, uh, I wrote the first half for a NaNoWriMo. And then by the time the next NaNoWriMo rolled around, I was working on some other stuff, but I also hadn't figured out how the book was going to end, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't until the following NaNoWriMo that I finished it just because it took me that long to really figure out an ending. So there, there's definitely something to be said for writing the ending first. I think, I think Stephen King could probably uh, learn something from that. <laughs> well, and it sometimes it doesn't always end there. Like that'll be, that's my big, you know, my big plot twist and all that. Mm. But then sometimes I might add another chapter like, oh, you know what? But that's, it's not going to end there. I wanted them to do this too. Yeah. Uh, and so it typically, it might, sometimes it, it goes on a little further. Um, but most of the time, yeah, that's, that's what I'm leading up to. Um, I like, I know I, I've already written the end of, of my trilogy that I'm writing right now. It's already done. And now I'm back up and, and moving slowly towards it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I typically write a book. I don't write every day. Um, mm-hmm. I don't force it. It just whenever I feel like it, and typically yeah. I will seclude myself from any dude household duties and go. I can go ten to twelve hours straight of just oh, writing wow. and do about ten to twelve thousand words. Yeah, um, yeah, and so, but I'm pretty exhausted after that. Oh, uh, no and doubt. I might not no write again for a week. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, that's something I found. Like I, I, I used to do NaNoWriMo every year, and. Um, I eventually quit because like, like I just naturally like left to my own devices. I write 20 to 25,000 words a month typically. Um, but what I found was after doing NaNoWriMo, yeah, I can do 50,000 words in a month, but then the next month, my productivity <laughs> drops so much because I'm just tired of writing at that point. Well, that, and it's like, when you go back and read it, how many of those get deleted? yeah so it it's very much a uh uh you you can definitely overexert yourself but it's also like i mean the system seemingly you know from the outside looking in it it seems to work really well for you so um it's hard to not mess with success you know (laughs) yeah if it's coming out like i have to be i'm a mood writer and if i if something's there like i could have this i could have an idea like i wrote the first half of book three and actually stopped. I've I, like I've gotten you know thirty five thousand words in or whatever I've gotten, and I yeah. stopped to do one more the last round of edits for book two, mm-hmm. and I said I'm gonna take a break. I'm gonna go reevaluate myself with what happened in book two, yeah, and then come back to this to make sure because well I, and it's this is the first time I've written a series, so I want to make sure everything's lined up. Like I had to go reread book one several times. I've got my printed draft with all these sticky notes sticking out of it <laughs> to make sure everything lines up. And yeah, writing a series is a lot of work and I got to make sure I don't falter because I want everybody to have the end of it before the end of the year. And typically I write a book in about a month. It takes me about four to six weeks yeah. to complete a, a complete uh, draft. Mm-hmm. And then I put it to the side and then I don't touch it for like months. Yeah. And then I write something else and then I go back and I pick that up and I read it and I'll do a round of edits, re, you know, rewrite it or whatever I need to do. And then same thing. So typically yeah. whenever you see a release of one of my books, I wrote it about a year ago. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's great advice. I've uh, it's something uh, I, I like to give Stephen King a little bit of, of shit, but he can take it because he's, 
Richard and Crocious. He's but, King. Yeah, he doesn't care. Um, He's not going to listen to this. <laughs> right. Right. But I also like, I really do admire him. And I, I, you know, the only book on writing I've ever been able to finish was his. Um, yeah, Cause he on, actually on wrote, writing. Yeah. On writing. Cause it was actually interesting. It was so autobiographical that it, it's hard to get me to read about writing, but if you, you know, you make it autobiographical, I guess I'll stick with it. But um, he, he talks about that. It's like, he tip like once he gets done writing something, he puts it aside, like puts it in a drawer for six months before he'll look at it again. And oh wow, I, I, I haven't read it, so yeah. I don't know that. Well, it it, it it because it it gives you time to forget what you yeah, wrote. Like you're not going to forget everything. Yeah. yeah, I need to pull my head out when I want to come back with a fresh set of eyes where I've already delved into a couple of other stories. Yeah, uh, and make sure it's still worth like because sometimes I like I don't even like because nobody knows like that I'm writing this. Like yeah. nobody, when I'm writing something, I don't say anything. I don't announce it until I don't tell my, anybody that I've written it because to me, I've, I've trashed stuff. I mm-hmm. have trashed several things where I, when I come back to it four, five, six months later and I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that's never going to see the light of day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it really, it, cause it's, if you're, and that's why I also, you should never edit as you're writing is my, oh, is yeah. my advice. And like, you'll never finish writing it. <laughs> exactly. And so if you'll give yourself, it doesn't have to be six months, but if you will give yourself a decent enough break that when you go back to read it, um, it, it you're looking at it with fresh eyes, you'll notice so much more mm-hmm. than if you edit it right. Oh, I just finished it. Well, let me dive right into edits. Well, you just wrote all those words. Your brain knows Take what to expect. Yeah. yeah. Your, your brain knows what to expect. Like you just, your brain them. is reading it before it sees the words. Yeah. I and mean, so, it just wrote it. <laughs> exactly. So if you will give yourself time to basically forget, like, of course, obviously you remember what your book is about, but the, the, the exact phrasing of a sentence will, you'll basically be coming back to it fresh and you'll be much more likely to see those glaring errors. Yeah. Um, that's another reason why I have to have a character list. Cause I'll be reading a book and halfway through it, their name has changed. Yeah. Oh, I've done that. Oh, I did that. Uh, I, I, the first book I, uh, I wrote, I actually sent it to someone. It's like, dude, I, I think you changed a person's name halfway through. And I was like, wait, what? And it was like, I changed it from like, Anne to Anna or something like that. You know, I was like, oh crap. I did. I did oh, mine was big. Mine was Elise to Nina. Oh, well, yeah. Well, which one do I want now? I don't even. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's something I've I've had to work at. Uh, me, like uh, a lot of the stuff I've written has been, you know, like a stand, like I wrote a standalone horror novel was the first novel that I I finished, and so now that I'm writing this this ongoing series, you know, um, I have I call it my my Bible, you know, it's my my book Bible because it's like. If I introduce a new character, I try to remember, hey, take the paragraph where you introduce this character where you probably gave some description of them and go paste it in this other document. So then three books later, when you're like, oh, crap, what was that guy's name and what did he look like? Uh, you you don't have to go fumbling through manuscript number one to find where exactly it was that you mentioned Jim Bob and, you know, His hair color. Or- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it'll make things a lot make things a lot easier for you. Yeah. So, no, I, um, what was I going to say? Okay. Yeah. So I do, I do that. I put it aside and then when I pick it back up, I will read it on my computer screen. 
Yeah. Uh, so I read it through and then I'll make little, you know, typographical error corrections, stuff like that. And if I want to add something, um, and then my third round, what I do is I print it and I old school it with red pen. Yeah. And I actually do more changes that way than any other way. Uh, my, my copies and I keep them. I have a big stack of them of all my yeah. first drafts and they're covered in red pen. And my husband's like, you should keep for the first time. He's like, you should keep that to be worth some money. I was like, I don't ever want anybody to see this. this is hideous. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Well, I, I've um, definitely, but- I've definitely kept stuff like that. And not because I think I'm going to be so famous that someone's <laughs> going, it's going to be worth yeah. a lot of money, but like my dream is, you know, or one of my dreams is that at one point, eventually that my writing become notable enough that I can donate this stuff to some college somewhere and like, all right, here, here you go. Here's the, all the, all the back stuff. And, you know, for some, you know, 20 years from now, somebody to write aspiring writer that's like thinks they're, and I'm like, look at, uh, this is my very, very first, first draft. And look at the crap that I put and look how (laughs) I'm like, it looks like a kindergartner wrote it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, because uh, also I, I, I worked in the medical field for over 20 years. And so I, I'm used to having like a, writing a lot of shorthand. Yeah. And so when I'm typing and, and I've gotten better over the last few years, but I, when I'm typing, it's like, it's like, you're very abrupt and you know, and I'm like, yeah. yeah, well, that's, you gotta be fast in the medical field. That's what I'm used to. <laughs> yeah. No, my, uh, my lady friend is, uh, uh, she's an NP. And so uh, uh, getting to see kind of like her work methods and whatnot, like it, it's definitely a whole different beast for yes. sure. Um, a comma. We don't know what a comma is. You think you got uh, <laughs> time to write a comma? Get out of yeah. here. <laughs> oh yeah. No, not at all. Um, uh, I was going to bring this up uh, earlier. Um, you had mentioned uh, the wait for like hearing back from an agent and um, so, and how you, 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 end up releasing girl bully while you were waiting to hear back. About. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So it's- I, I, I'm in the same boat. Uh, the first novel I wrote this horror novel. Uh, I've been idly like not seriously shopping it around, but like just every so often I'll be like, I'll go to an event where there's editors and like, Hey, you know, this is the book I got. And they'll be like, Oh sure. Send, send me some pages, you know? And uh, <laughs> so it, during COVID they had this online event where you could talk to editors you could pitch. It was like a pitch session kind of deal. And I pitched to a couple and uh, this one agent, uh, he was like, sure, uh, send me, uh, send it to me. And uh, he actually requested the full manuscript, which was. Okay. Uh, that's un- good. Yeah. And unusual. Most of the time that I've done these, they want like the first yeah, they, pages. they want the first three, 30 pages or three chapters yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. So I sent it and uh, I'll wait and i wait. And, you know, I, I know to expect it's going to be best case three months, probably closer to six months before hearing anything. Eight months to a year. Yeah. So after, after six yeah. months, I just kind of, uh, <laughs> I, I reached out. I was like, Hey, you know, just touching base, just, uh, just reaching out, you know, see if you had any questions or anything like that. And he said, Hey, could you send it to me again? I had some stuff come up. Could you, could you send me the manuscript again? I was like, uh, okay. All right. Cause it's like, it's, this is all part of the same email chain. So it's, it's the, in there already. Yeah, the, uh, uh, so, uh, okay. All right. Here we That's go. Like when people ask me to retext something, I go back up and screenshot it. And send yeah. It to the yeah. So, uh, so I do. And uh, 
like three months goes by and uh, I just reach out like, Hey, you know, just touch and base. And he was like, Oh no, Ben swamp. I'll, I'll get to it. Well, three more months go by and I was about to send another email and he sent me an email. He sent me a rejection and it was very nice. It was very, it was personalized. It felt like, you know, it was very, Hey, you know, I appreciate the, you know, the economy of your pros, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I would have been very flattered in my personalized rejection because that's what it felt like, except that uh, it had the wrong book name in there. <laughs> he uh, clearly had copy pasted uh, from another rejection and forgot to change the name of the book. <laughs> but I was like, uh, to me, it's a great story. Like I was not like, look, I was not at all offended you or did, hurt you didn't or anything. Technically, get rejected because he probably yeah. never read it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, but that's the thing. It's like also, it's like, look, I don't want an agent who doesn't have the the the, the cognizance to uh, to change the the copy paste, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, so. People out there that are listening, um, just if you're if you're trying to get trad published, it's going to be a wait. Um, it's going to be a lot of waiting because you're going to have to wait while you're trying to get an agent, and then once you get the agent, it, it's a waiting process. Then the for agent them to has get to try to sell you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you've got to sell yourself. You've got to query out to agents that are accepting, not only accepting, but they need to be accepting your genre. Yeah, uh, and um, you're going to query out to, I mean, I probably, every time I've done it, I've only done it like three times, but every time I've done it, I, I, I think I've hit at least 20. Uh, and most of them don't even respond. You, yeah. you don't even get a response. So you don't know if they ever got it or not. And then, you know, rejections could trickle in as much as a year later. Oh yeah. And, uh, what I, my advice is Focus on the story that you're most proud of, your baby, your pride and joy, and continue working on other things while, and then just continue to constantly perfect that one. Go back and, and after you, after that year of rejections, send it out again. If you know for sure that that book is the one, that book is the one that's, that needs to be in every reader's hand, because yes, you can indie um, publish and many different ways to indie publish, but um the, the thing is you're going to be doing all your marketing. You yeah. are, you're everybody and you're not going to reach your, all your readers doing that. Yeah. Uh, so that's my goal is to, I like being self-published with my self-published works because I'm a control freak and yes. I want 100% control over everything. Yeah. And also the stuff that I write is not very mainstream. Like, uh, like I said, it's very dark and depraved. Yeah. And a lot of times agents and publishing houses are going to come in and they're going to go and critique your work and they're going to make you make changes. Yeah. Uh, and you're, they're going to make you take stuff out that you're, that's going to alter your story, which is a lot of times you'll, you'll hear this big New York times, bestselling release this. Oh, everybody's got to read it. Oh my God. It's got 30,000 reviews in week one. And it's amazing. And it got book of the year and you read it and you're like, what? <laughs> How did yeah. that happen? Yeah. Well, because they probably wrote a better story than what you just read, but they had to alter it for the masses. Yeah. I, I tell I'm people, writing- uh, I tell people the best part about uh, self-publishing going indie is you have all the control and the worst yeah. part is you have all the control <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever it, you want yeah nobody m- most people probably not gonna read it so just do whatever you want yeah, so, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's the thing i uh i got i was mentored by john hartness and uh 
I, I asked him straight up. I was like, hey, man, um, I'm writing a series about a redneck wizard with a crippling meth addiction. Like, I was like, how shit is like, am I, would I be wasting my time if I, you know, trying to get this traditionally published? And he was like, honestly, probably, yeah. Uh, your character is uh, not what most publishing houses are going to want to deal with. He says, but you know what? Go sell 100,000 copies of it. And uh, then the traditional publisher will be like, oh. Then they oh want to come buy it up from you. Yeah. And so that's the <laughs> thing. you put like, in all the work. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's the beauty of it is, is as long as you're not, you know, as long as you don't allow yourself to be screwed over in the, the contract t- type type stuff, yeah. you can do both. You know, like my, my goal, like I will probably always self-publish. I would like to be traditionally published for certain things, but other things I want to stay indie, but they can help each other, you know? Um, yes. But I mean, because if somebody a- picks up your traditionally published books because they heard about it across the world that would have never seen you any other way because they don't, they're not on Facebook, they're not on Instagram, they're not on TikTok, wherever you are slinging your stuff. Yeah. They would have never seen it unless they saw it in a Barnes and Noble when they walked in in Canada mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, they're going to pick it up. They're going to love it. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to go and search your name and they're going to buy all of your backlists. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, that's, that's the beauty of it is they're, they're going to help each other. You know, the, the, having that traditionally published book out there is going to help the sales of your indie books, but having, being a successful indie author is going to make it that much more likely that you can get traditionally published uh, because they, because then at that point, agents know, Oh, you've sold, you sold, 30,000 copies of this book in six months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I would be, you, you, and you have another book that you're shopping around. Let me take a look, you know? So it, yeah. it, they can, they can really help each other out. Well, that is if, if nobody's, if you've never gone in and tried to query an agent before, then you don't know, they don't want to know just about your book that you're spitting at them. They yeah. want to know what makes you qualified to be a writer. hmm and if you don't have some kind of English degree, I what did not have an English degree. I can't. Oh, I worked in the medical field for over yeah. 20 years in pediatrics, so I can write about children. No, that's not how it works. Um, yeah. So, no, or I, hey, I, I wrote a short story that was supposed to be a thousand words long and was 12,000 <laughs> words long. That doesn't count. But no. if when I noticed that when I was trying to put my first book out there, that's when I, I, kept writing and I put my second one and I said, you know what? I'm building up a resume. Mm -hmm. I'm building it up so that in the future, when I'm ready to go ahead and spit another book out and in a query, I have now built my career as an author. I, 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 you know, I might not be a household name, but you can go Google me and I'm going to pop up. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. And that's the thing is like when you're, when you, you know, you're sending that query letter out, you know, you're supposed to put a little bit about you at the bottom, you know, but yeah. uh, they like I've just seen time and time again. And the advice I've always been given is if it is not something that directly points to the fact that you can be or have been published, you are wasting their time and they're not going to like that. Yeah. Um, you're they not don't, qualified for that job. Yeah. They don't <laughs> care that you have a degree in, you know, mathematics. You know, they don't, you know, they don't care that you're a, you know, a PhD in physics, unless your book is about, about, yeah. you know, quantum theory. They don't theory care that you've like that. read 20,000 books in your yeah. life. Yeah, <laughs> no, they want to know like, oh, hey, like for me, like I got started, my start was in uh, anthologies. I've been published in a number of anthologies. 
So that is something relevant that I can put in there. It's like, I've been published in the following, uh, I've had and short fiction, short stories or well, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> it, that's not great. That's not a great thing. Cause a short story is a very different thing from a, from a, a novel, novel yeah. but it at least shows that I have worked with editors in the past. I have gone through the publishing process and some stranger on the internet read something I wrote and decided it was worthy to be published. So it, it's all things that point at least somewhat positively that may, may get that agent off the fence onto like, you know what? I'm going to read the first 30 a, pages. Yeah, yeah. I'll take a look. <laughs> I'll take a look. And the other thing is, um, and this is the thing that a lot of authors are not going to want to hear these days. Agents really look at your social media before they take you on. Um, they, they want to know that you have an active social media presence uh, and because even if you're traditionally published, especially as a new author, there's virtually no marketing budget for your book. They're still yeah, counting no, you've on you to be out there pushing your product. Yeah. And if you're, and if there's no evidence that you're the kind of person that's, that gets out there promoting your stuff, it, that's not to say that they are going to say, Oh no, I'm not going to do that. But if they only have enough energy to take on one book and they're trying to decide between two authors and one has, and one of them's got a blowing up on TikTok. (laughs) Yeah. Then they're going to go with that person because they know that they are dedicated to promotion. And I know that I know a lot of people are going to hear that and be like, Oh no, that's awful. Look guys, it's, you're, it's a lot scarier sounding than it has to be. Um, We're not going to, we're not going to spend the rest of this time talking marketing because that would be hours uh, of talk but um but look there just the moral of that is don't don't be scared don't you're 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 freaking yourself out it'll be okay so and just focus on your books you don't have to talk about yourself yeah you know oh yeah you don't i mean as a reader i honestly don't care what the writer goes on in a writer's personal life i actually want to know as little about them as possible because i don't want it interfering when i'm reading their books yeah (laughs) <laughs> but I also, I, like, I, I don't want to find out that, you know, secretly that there's some, you know, they beat puppies on the weekend, you know, or oh my, no, because then I'll never buy their books again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, there's a degree of just wanting to have my blinders on like, oh, I really love this book. Oh, God, I hope the author's a good person. And I never hear otherwise. <laughs> yeah. So cause I'm like, because I don't want to have to stop reading them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you talked earlier, you love music. Uh, I love music degree in music industry, all about music. So I got to know, do you play music when you write? And if so, what do you listen to? No, it's complete silence. Okay. I write. I don't uh, listen to anything. Yeah. You, I'm not saying you're, I'm not saying you're a monster because there's no wrong way. Um, but, <laughs> but no, the, uh, no, it, it's, I, when I, you know, I ask every author this question and I really, I really thought that like everyone was going to say, oh yeah, of course, you know, and I'm surprised at the number of authors that are like, oh no, I've got to have perfect silence. And now in retrospect, as I think about it, like, oh, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> if my husband comes up next to me with his damn iPad and starts playing freaking uh, videos on YouTube and I just stop and I'm like, right, really, really? <laughs> what, yeah. <kids?"> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I get that. I get that. <laughs> All right. So uh, I mentioned him earlier, John Hartness. Um, and uh, he talks about how no matter how quickly he can write books, he cannot write books as fast as people read. It's impossible. So because of that, authors should always be promoting each other and helping each other out. Yes. So cross promotion is key. Yes. So mm-hmm. to that end, I would like to know 
two-part question. One, who is your author hero? And two, who is an author that you think we should be checking out that we might not be? Oh, author hero. That's a hard one. Uh, but probably I'm going to have to say Anne Rice. Yeah. Yeah. She, her name is also tattooed on me. <laughs> nice. Nice. I have I was a lot wondering... of people's names tattooed on me. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering if you're going to say Charlene Harris. Um, but no. I, I don't know if she'd be my hero because yeah. um, I do as I do love her. Yeah. But my favorite book, and I read it when I was way too young, <laughs> is The Witching Hour. I love the Mayfair Witches. Yeah. Uh, nice. Charlene Harris is more fun and upbeat most of the time. Yeah. And, you know, I love well, her strong females. Uh, I do because yeah. I write strong females too. Um, but Anne Rice tapped into my dark side. Yeah. At, at an early age. Well, and, and this is and, not a slide at all on Charlene Harris at all, but mm-hmm. I feel like Anne Rice was much more of the transformational author. Like she had a far larger impact on the, the genre. Um, yes. Cause she, she was kind of, I mean, she was really the first one that I'm aware of really writing vampires in the way and the witches Mayfair witches series as well. Like she, she took it in a different tone and kind of a different way that was really kind of transformational. On the scene, Nothing gets held back. Not a thing. When people ask me advice about, hey, should I put this in my book? And I go, if your character needs to do that, then do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you don't see Stephen King or Anne Rice holding back on what their characters are doing because it's not you that's doing it. You, you're doing yeah. it for the story. And if the story yeah. needs it, then put it in the book. Don't worry about if you're going to offend somebody. Yeah. I'm like, cause they were, they've been doing this and they, I mean, and, and there's, I'm, I mean, I am obsessed with the Mayfair wishes. I love it. And yeah. you know, I think they're making a show of it now. They're like, yeah, yeah okay. they're doing a show. And I'm like, I'm kind of excited. I mean, yeah. I've, it's been, it's been a while since I've read the trilogy. Um, so I, I'm hoping I, I get when I, I'm a super, I'm a nerd. I'm a big nerd. I love star Wars <laughs> and yeah. Marvel and I had a star Wars wedding and, um, yeah. I'm a massive nerd. So typically when somebody gives me more of what I love, I don't get disappointed with it. I'm just happy that I'm getting more of what I love. Yeah. That's a good attitude <laughs> to have. Yeah. Like uh, I know a lot of, uh, especially in nerd culture, there's a real, um, a real paranoia about like, Oh, they're adapting. They're adapting this thing that I love into a movie or a show. They're going to ruin it. Or- yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah. I've just, for years, I've just taken the view of, I just, view them as separate things you know like if it you know they're just different interpretations of the same kind of story and it just yeah don't let stress you that uh charlene harris true blood true blood you can read all the books in the true blood the sicky sack house series and you can go and watch true blood and you are getting two different stories (laughs) so funny that we talk about this literally right now on in the living room true blood is on uh (laughs) My, my lady friend uh, just started watching it and she uh, like a few weeks ago and she's already on like season four or five or something like that. She's been, I, I repeat it every, every, every once in a while. Yeah. But I remember when it, cause I was, I'd read, I think the first four or five books or something when they came out with the show. Yeah. Cause I, for the last few books, I was having to wait a long time. I, Charlene almost got a visit from me, but, uh, <laughs> but so when they would, I remember having to watch them every Sunday night. And I would get so pissed because they they all end at a cliffhanger. They do. And that's a, that's something. End. 
she she that was something she was complaining about to me she's like these all end in cliffhangers i hate that well but luckily you know, to watch them every sunday oh, like yeah one every oh yeah it, it it really is gratuitous in that series like i i remember i was watching it when it came out and i i i saw the first two seasons and then i hadn't seen anything past that and i've read the first two books uh as well and hadn't read anything past that so i, I haven't been watching it as much as her but like i, I sit in and 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 watch when I, when I have time, when I'm not it, locked away in the office doing interviews with people. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's uh, just from what I can remember the, the first, first two books in the first two seasons, you know, it hits a broad strokes, but there, there are a lot of, a lot of real differences the first, there. The first book and the first season are basically the same. If it's, it follows along pretty close to the story. Yeah. And then at the end, when they decide to keep Lafayette, which I'm so glad. Right. Oh, he was. He, I'm not saying he's the best character on that show, but he's top three. <laughs> oh yeah, love me some Lafayette. Uh, that's when they started shifting to different things. Yeah. Um. So, and uh, you know, because I used to say, "That's not how that's ended the book." I'm like, I don't care. I just, just give me yeah. more of the story. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so who's an author that we should be checking out that we probably aren't? Okay, so I have a lot of author friends. Yeah. And they're all amazing. But I'm going to have to give it out to my girl, Kirsten. Um, okay. She's actually, she's she's been writing for about six, seven years now. A uh-huh. published writer for six or seven years now. She's very young. She's a lot younger than me. About half my age. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> She's killing it. Uh, yeah. she, she's one of those that like writes a book and and, and she, yeah, I think she's got like 32 books out. Oh, wow. Um, and she writes psychological thrillers, uh, very yeah. similar to mine, uh, but not as dark. So if you, okay. if you, if you, if you require a couple of trigger warnings, hers are tamer than mine, yeah. okay. uh, but she's, she does have really, really good twists. Um, not but not the graphic scenes like my stuff has yeah uh but we're te- she was actually with me in in alabama yeah. um and uh she she's great she's young and she's energetic and she's killing it she's killing yeah. it and uh, what, kirsten, what was her name again? kirsten modlin uh kirsten modlin she i think her first book that she released is called becoming miss abbott mm-hmm and the last book that she released is called The Dinner Guest. Okay. And her biggest seller that everybody loves and talks about is called The Arrangement. Mm, okay. Uh, and yes, I love her. I get to see her a couple times a year. I don't get to see her again until November. Yeah. Um, but she just, she was asked to speak at Inkerscom this year. Uh-huh on success with standalones because all her books are standalones like mine uh Uh, so um she got to do that and so i'm I'm very happy for her 32 Uh, standalones that's yeah well the arrangement the arrangement she did write a sequel to the arrangement it's called the amendment okay uh but yeah i mean because i mean everybody wants more so you gotta write a yeah. little you gotta give them a little yeah. stuff <laughs> yeah but still thir- 30 standalones that's yeah, i don't she's care only i don't like care who you are that's 20s. impressive yeah <laughs> oh man 
She's what? young and she's killing it and I love her. And yeah. she's super sweet. And she's got the sweetest family. And she lives in Tennessee, I believe. Yeah, okay. Tennessee. Um, so yeah, if you if you enjoy my books, uh, but they maybe they're a little too graphic for you, or you need something uh, a little tamer, a definite Kirsten Modlin has something for you because uh she's spitting them out and she's got a very very loyal following too so people really if you if you like her you're gonna love everything she gives you all right um so to to wrap things up uh if you would tell everyone uh like where they can find you the socials that sort of stuff and where Mm -hmm. where they can find your books so I am, uh, of course, on Facebook and TikTok and uh, Instagram, uh, author uh, Liam Hall. I started, I got a YouHoop thing and I, a YouHoop, <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> so people are like, you got to be on YouTube. I'm like, another one? I don't know if I have that kind of time. I'm never going to get to write anything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I never put anything on there. So you might find something on YouTube with my face on it, but uh, <laughs> I, there's no content. Uh, so I am. Uh, um, uh, all of my books are on Kindle Unlimited. The, uh, my e- my ebooks are exclusive to Amazon. Uh, Kindle Unlimited. I am a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, and I know a lot of people who spend that ten dollars a month will not read outside of Kindle Unlimited. Uh, so I stick with them. If they're going to be loyal to me, I'll be loyal to them. Um, so I recommend if you, if you don't, haven't checked out Kindle Unlimited, there are millions of books on there that you can read with a $10 a month subscription. So instead of spending five to $10 on each book, you could read five to 10 in a month with $10. (laughs) So It's a really good investment. I have it, uh, because I, I prefer paperbacks and hardcovers, but when I get signed books from authors, I don't want to mess them up. Uh, so I'll read on Kindle Unlimited. Plus they get the credit for me reading yeah. it on there. Yeah. Um, but all of my stuff's on uh, Amazon. You can get the paperbacks on there too. Um, uh, most of my books are on Audible and Apple Books um, for the audio, audio versions. Uh-huh. Um, if there's an audio available, it's there. Uh, yeah. I, there's a couple of my books that don't have audios yet. Um, and th- that's just cause they're in the works. Cause they take a while to make, uh, I got to pick a narrator. They got to yeah. read it. I got to listen to it several times. They take a <laughs> long time. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so they take a little while to get out there, but, uh, I love the, this family sex sincerely yours, Peter Frazier audible. The guy did amazing with all the Texas twang that he got yeah. perfect. Oh, he did so perfect with that. So I had him do Vladimir's victory and that one should be out in a couple of weeks. He just finished that one a couple of weeks ago. Um, but now of course, he does it. I read it, review it. Okay. it, And then of course the sources, Audible and Apple books have to read it and make sure it's appropriate for their platform. Right, <laughs> so it takes right. a while to go out. Um, the only book that you're going to find probably in bookstores is this family sex sincerely or Peter Frazier. It's the only one that's mass produced uh, mm-hmm. and you can get in libraries, bookstores, stuff like that. Um, all the other ones have been self-published and oh, in capability, sorry, that one in capability. Um, So if you have a local library that you go to and you don't see my books in there, that's only because they haven't ordered them yet and you can request them. Uh, And Barnes and Noble, stuff like that. If you don't see capability and this family sucks, you can say, do you have any Liam Hall books? Can you order them? And they will order them for you. Um, But everything is there. And then also everything is available on my website, liamhall.com. 
I have tons of swag, apparel. All of my books are signed. You can get signed and shipped out to you. Um, and then of course I do several signings throughout the year, about every month I'm at a signing. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, Lee, this has been fantastic. Uh, so glad you came on and I've been, been telling the authors as I, as we do this, that the, the plan is to sometime next year, do follow-up, uh, uh, okay. little interviews like it'll be shorter just kind of a, a little catch up see how how things are going what so are hopefully we'll now? be yeah <laughs> so hopefully we'll be able to uh, uh make that happen and yes. uh I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on this, this has been fantastic yes thank you so much bob i've enjoyed my hour with you and i hope you have a fabulous sunday afternoon yeah i will all right well till next time guys y'all be good now for taking the time to check out another exciting episode of Southern Fried Fantasy. If you would, you know the drill. Give us a like, subscribe, follow, all that jazz. We'll appreciate you. Until next time, y'all. is part of the Tales by Bob network. To see all our great shows, go to talesbybob.com.